It's a common thing for churches to struggle with identity. It's a common thing for churches to um, struggle with purpose. Who are we? Where are we going? What do we need to do? What's new? Should we try something different? It's just common. Um, and it makes it more common given the fact that there are all kinds of ad campaigns. I get solicitations all of the time. They come to the church all of the time for something different, something new, surefire way to do this or to do that, finding your new purpose, um, all of these kinds of fads uh, that come and go and, and we feel pulled and then our friends are involved in one. So then we think maybe we should be involved in one and, and it's constant. Who are we? What are we here to do? Churches struggle with this. Christians struggle with this. What's my, what, is, what are we ultimately here on planet Earth to do? What's our, what's our ministry? What's our focus? What's our message? It's a common kind of thing, whether you realize it or not. It's something we're always having to grapple with. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to be reminded of what our focus should be. Uh, it's like cutting edge. It's brand new, like first century. Um, but we're going to be reminded and have another occasion to be reminded really what we're called to do, what we're called to be, what our message is, what our identity is. And the occasion for this is uh, we're going to, at the end of the service, affirm a new leader. Um, in the Bible, uh, leaders are called pastors, sometimes they're called elders, sometimes they're called overseers, or if you like King James English, overseers translated bishop. All three titles referring to the same people. Pastor, elder, overseer, slash bishop. At the end of the service, we're going to affirm a new leader. And that gives us an occasion. It gives us an occasion to talk about who we are, what we're about, what's our focus. Because when you bring on a, a new leader, uh, it's, it's the natural time to talk about that. Um, just like in an organization, when, when there's a new leader uh, brought in, um, you're either going to change directions because there's a new leader or you've got to make sure that that leader knows what the current direction is and it's not going to change. When new leadership comes, it provides a great opportunity, either for change or for re redefining, clarifying, um, sharpening what the focus is. And so that occasion today gives us an opportunity to talk about what, what are we about? What do we do? What do you do as a Christian? What do we do as a church? And the text we're going to look at this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to look at the very end of this letter. So we're not going to be in our ongoing series of the life and ministry of Jesus and the gospel according to Luke. Um, if God allows us to be here next week, we'll, we'll return to our study in Luke. Um, but this morning we have occasion to talk about who we are, what we're about, where we're headed, and then we're going to affirm Dallas Foch as one of our new elders or new pastors or new overseers. We're going to be in 1 Timothy because 1 Timothy has to do with what a church leader is supposed to do. Okay? Paul is an apostle of Christ. Apostle means one who's sent with authority. Okay? So if Paul's an apostle of Christ, that means he's sent by Christ with the authority of Christ. Okay, And so he's an apostle telling Timothy, a pastor or elder or overseer or bishop, he's telling him what needs to be done in the life of the church. Okay, So if we were to read the whole letter, we're not going to do it right now. He's telling him how to put things in order at the local church at Ephesus. Okay, So that's why we're going to look at this letter, because we're going to bring on a new pastor, a new elder. We want to remind him, we want to commission him, we want to exhort him. And by extension, the whole church with, here's what you do. 
Here's your identity. Here's where you need to lead us. Okay? And so it gives us that good occasion. The end of the letter is a great summation of the whole. It's this urgent call to do the things he's been spelling out throughout the whole letter. Okay? And so let's go ahead and read the final two verses as we are reminded what pastors and Christians and churches are supposed to be about. It says in verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21 says, For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So there's that summary calling to a pastor and by extension to churches. We've heard the calling. Now let's talk about what it means. What it means for a new leader at Omaha Bible Church. What it means for us as a church and the individuals who make up the church. As we do that, I'd like to highlight from that text seven features Seven features that help us sharpen our focus or keep our focus clear. And we'll work our way through the text again, talking about the meaning of the text. And hopefully it helps you, it helps me, it helps the church, it helps Dallas as he joins our leaders in leading the rest of us. So the first feature that is going to help us, and and I'm going to talk about it in terms of a pastor, because this is going to lead to a pastoral affirmation. But even point number one will help you see that it relates to all of us. Number one, the first clarifying, sharpening feature. Number one, the pastoral duty is shared with the church. The pastoral duty is shared with the church. I'll do this one just super fast, and you'll be happy about that, right? Um, And every pastor lies when he says he'll go really fast. Um, or They always lie when they say, I just have one more point. Um, so anyway, thank you for acknowledging that I'm a sinner and a liar and you just kind of laugh it off. And Anyway, the pastoral duty is shared with the church. It's an obvious one, but it's actually tacked on the end that's not so obvious because in verse 21, at the very end, in his greeting, Paul says to Timothy, grace be with you. I just want to point out simple grammar. The you in the Greek New Testament is plural. That's a little hint. It's a little reminder. Yes, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, pastor, this is who you need to be. This is what you need to do. But remember, according to the whole, whole picture, he's telling him how to put things order, in order in the church. And at the very end, he certainly includes the whole church. Grace be with you. As if to say, you're going to read this to everybody. As if to say, Timothy, pal, You need to be committed to these things, but once you're committed to these things, you're going to share these things with the rest of the church. And I wanted to start at the end of our passage, lest all of you just check out and say, this is about pastors and it has nothing to do with me. Um, No, it's about pastors and it has everything to do with you. Because Timothy's not going to be a pastor of himself. He's not going to be a pastor of his family. He's going to be a pastor of a local church, not altogether different than this local church, and they're going to be in partnership in doing what a church is supposed to do, okay? So as you hear me talk about pastor, 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 please don't check out, check out, check out, check out. By extension, by implication, sure, he might be leading in the church, but we make up the church, 
It's a partnership. We're in this together. We're committed to these things together. So I want you to hear these, these, these features for pastors, but I want you to hear them in a, in a both-and sort of way. Yeah, that, that, that's what Dallas Foch, the new elder at Omaha Bible Church, needs to be committed to. And I want to pray for him that he can be that kind of leader as he keeps watch over us. But I also know that this is a partnership and he can't do what he does by himself. This is who we are as a church. This has to do with our ministry to Omaha and beyond. These things are for me too. Make sense? I sure hope it does. Let's move on now to the second feature that helps us to sharpen our focus as a church and certainly as pastors. Number two, the pastoral duty is serious. The pastoral duty is serious. It's shared, number one. Number two, it is serious. Back to our text, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard. Guard is a serious kind of statement. It's a serious command. But even the way he says it, oh, Timothy. One Greek scholar points out, he, he's emphasizing urgency, but he's also emphasizing earnestness. It's a serious thing. Guarding is serious, but even, even the way he's saying it, Oh, Timothy, speaking persuasively, powerfully, this is super important. It's super important that you listen. There's an urgency, and, and, and this, is, this is a serious matter. It's not a game. And this, the gravity or the seriousness comes up if, if we keep reading. When he says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions, that, that's not really fluffy talk, is it? That's pretty, pretty sober, pretty serious of what is falsely called knowledge. He's calling people out. That's pretty serious. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. How about that? Does it get more serious than people crashing and burning spiritually? Oh, Timothy, what I've been telling you in this letter is so important. From a human perspective, people's spiritual lives are at stake. It's a serious matter. Timothy, we're not playing church. We're not doing church. We're not reinventing church. We're serious about this business. I love it that we can rejoice and be glad. I love it that in a different context we can goof around and do shenanigans. I like joking with the best of them. I love being a goof-off. I'm glad some of us get to goof off together. I'm glad God made us with senses of humor, some better than others. I kind of got shortchanged. <sighs> I mean, it's just it's great. We can have fun. We can just enjoy life. It's awesome. Be lighthearted. Comedy. Need a good laugh, you know. You're going to be a happier person if you laugh more. La, la, la. You get it? But not here. And not with the message. Specifically, he's going to be focusing on the gospel and the dilution of the gospel, or the compromising of the gospel, and he gives this super sober tone to the whole thing. This is not a joke, Timothy. Church is not a joke. Church isn't funny. Leadership isn't funny. We're talking about the gospel, and when the gospel isn't the pure gospel, terrible things happen. And we've got to remember that. I try to smile as much as I can. 
to try to make it clear that I'm not trying to be a joker. Or I'm not trying to be Mr. Mr. Bummer, mean guy, angry guy. But I do, speaking of joker, want to remind you that that question that's become part of our culture, why so serious, is a question posed by a joker. And sometimes when we talk about Christianity, it's as if we're saying, why so serious? Why so serious? Only jokers ask questions like that. When we're talking about the gospel, something that is the power of God for salvation, for reconciliation to God. Well, if you have reconciliation, you've got a problem. There's conflict. We've got to talk about that. And that's not funny. The gospel is the good news that Christ worked so that we could be reconciled to God. It's good news. It's great news. It's happy news. But there's something very grave about it. It's very serious about it. That Christ died for our sins. He was raised again from the dead. Hallelujah. But we say hallelujah with a seriousness because we're talking about something super serious. Paul is so serious with Timothy here. I heard one pastor super popular pastor. He's not so popular now because we are so into fads. But tell other pastors, the best thing you could do for your preaching ministry is to study stand-up comics. Now I'll admit, you, admit to you, I could work a little bit on my humor and delivery. Um, I'm not the best communicator in the whole world, not claiming to be. But we do have to remember that Omaha Bible Church should be serious if we're this kind of church. At least the things we need to be serious about. The gospel, Christ, salvation, reconciliation, sin, redemption, atonement. Worshiping God because of these things with joy and thanksgiving, yes. But read 1 Timothy, which is designed to show how church is supposed to work. And look for the funniness And you just don't see the funniness. It's serious because we're not playing games. So let's keep that in mind. Let's move on now to number three. The pastoral duty, and there, by extension, the church duty is gospel-centered. It is gospel-centric. As far as priorities go, it's got to be At the top of the list, the gospel does. And let me revise that wrong statement. The gospel can't just be at the top of the list. The gospel has to be at the top of the list and permeate the whole list. So in one way or another, everything this pastor does, everything the church by extension does, has to do with the gospel. The letter is as gospel-centric as you could possibly be if you just open up your eyes and look at it. But even our very text, in our summary, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted. In light of the whole, when you're reading 1 Timothy and you say, what is the deposit entrusted? No question in my mind, it's the gospel. It's the deposit entrusted to him. And he's got to guard it. It's, it's, it's about the gospel. It's centered around that. Avoid irreverent babble. Those are gospel contradictions and, and contradictions uh, of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21, by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. It's a gospel statement. The faith. Not just faith, the faith. 
that, that, that body of Christian teaching that is centered around the gospel. It comes up in the New Testament quite a bit. It comes up in First Timothy quite a bit. It has to do with the, again, objective body of knowledge regarding Christ and Christ's life and Christ's living and Christ's death and Christ's resurrection and Christ, for that matter, Christ's return. It's the faith. And what's interesting about this is, if you survey the book, you see that this is what he's been talking about through the whole thing. And I, I want to go ahead and survey it with you so that you can see it. It's, it's a gospel-centered kind of ministry. Everything has to do with the gospel. So an elder at Omaha Bible Church, Omaha Bible Church, should be gospel-centric in their ministry, in our ministry. Somehow it all has to do with the work of Christ. Let's go back to chapter 1. We'll look at chapter 1. We'll look at chapter 2. We'll look at chapter 4. We'll look at chapter Six, just so you can see a bit of the connectivity of it and you won't take my word for it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. There's that seriousness about this battle he's involved in. But how about verse 19? holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And then he names who they are. He's talking about the gospel. You've got to hold this. He doesn't use the article the faith there as he does in other places, but he's talking about the same thing. It's, it's holding faith. And others have made shipwreck regarding their faith. Shipwreck regarding faith in Christ. Faith in the gospel. It's another way of saying gospel. Then chapter 2, verse 4, he's talking about praying for all different kinds of people. Why would we pray for all different kinds of people, even people who are our enemies? Verse 4 says, talking about God who desires all people to be saved, that's gospel talk, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a synonym for the gospel, because you're saved by a knowledge of the truth. The truth about what? The truth about Christ. The truth about the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's clearly gospel kind of talk. How about chapter 4, verse 1? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, the Spirit, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Just like we've seen at the end of the book. The faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. How about chapter 4, verse 6? If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Again, the good teaching regarding Christ, the faith regarding Christ. And in chapter 6, verse 12, for one final reference, where he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made, you made the good, again, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You, you confess Christ. You, you acknowledged, you agreed with God about His Son and you said, indeed, He is the mediator. Indeed, He is the Savior. I'm trusting in Him. It's the, the good confession. And maybe I didn't need to go through all that little process, but I at least wanted you to see some of the connectivity so that when we get to chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, the end, I'm not just making it up. He's been doing this throughout the letter. The faith. The good confession. The truth. The one mediator. 
It's all been about new techniques, new strategies. No, it's all been about the historic act. It's all been about what happened one Friday afternoon outside of the city in Jerusalem. Christ died for our sins. He was raised again from the dead on the third day. It's all about Him providing atonement, providing reconciliation. He's the mediator. Timothy and all Timothys who come after Him. Your ministry. Oh, church at Ephesus and all churches that come after that church. Your ministry is about that. There are lots of good causes. There are lots of needs. There are many needy people. Our world is filled with these things. Church at Ephesus, Timothy, Church at Omaha, Dallas. Your calling is a unique calling. It's about the good news of salvation in Christ. Be serious about it. If you're serious about it, you won't waver from it. You'll know how important it is. I like the simplicity. I want to do lots of other things. I want to see needs and hopefully help meet some of those needs. I have needs. I want people to help me meet my needs. But when it comes to the ministry of the church, when it comes to the ministry of the elder, overseer, pastor, you're called to play that one string guitar, to have a single minded ministry. It has to do with the gospel. How can we not lose our focus? It's so easy to lose our focus. We know that we're really ultimately about one thing. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says, I knew, I, I devoted, I committed, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's helpful. Super helpful. Don't need to have an identity crisis. This is what we do. This is what we're committed to. New leader, no new leader, we're still committed to the same thing. And let's make sure the new leader is committed to these very things. I hope pastors at Omaha Bible Church, um, with their various giftedness and strengths and weaknesses, can do many things. Hopefully better together than as individuals. But I think most important, I want all of the pastors to be expert in the gospel. I want them to be expert in the gospel. What it is, and in light of Titus's qualifications, what it isn't. Because how can we stay on target? How can we stay on task if we're called the gospel ministry if we don't really know what it is well enough to know what it isn't? And by extension, I want that for Omaha Bible Church's members and, and, and not just for leaders. What is the gospel? What isn't the gospel? A lot of things are promoted as the gospel that actually aren't the gospel. And yeah, we're going to fail if we don't even know that. I remember having a, hopefully it was a watershed conversation with Pastor Chris Peterson at least a decade ago. And we, we just talked about some of the weird things we've believed and weird things we've been taught. 
and weird things that the church has believed and churches like our church have believed. And I don't remember where we were when we had the conversation, but I, I remember talking about and agreeing that in our short little lives, you know, this little blip on the screen, it's going to be over, you know, before you blink. Wouldn't it be great if we could prioritize and focus on what the Bible says is of first importance? I don't know if we've done a very good job of it, but it's what I've committed my life to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is of first importance. Doesn't mean we shouldn't know about other things, other biblical things. But if we're going to try to focus on one thing and have it be a strength, shouldn't it be what we're called to prioritize? I want to say yes. And again, maybe not doing a very good job of it, but at least I'm committed to something. And I think the rest of the elders, the rest of the pastors would, would say, that's what we've committed ourselves to also. I want you to be committed to that. Now, maybe you might, you know, not be an expert on angelology. And, and we need to know things about angels, right? The Bible talks about angels. And, and I don't want to not know anything, to use a double negative, I think. Um, <laughs> and historically, when you don't focus on something at all, then all of a sudden that becomes a problem for Christianity and churches. And so we do need to know, but so many times in evangelicalism and, and even in serious-minded Christian circles, sometimes we focused on things that are of value, even biblical things, and before you know it, we're totally selling out and compromising on the most important thing. I think Martin Luther, with all of his foibles and all of his issues, uh, which is what makes him sort of interesting, um, was exactly right when he said, the teaching on which the church stands or falls is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Okay? Gospel. I think he's right. But how many people do you know and how many people do I know that when you ask them what the gospel is, they don't give you the right answer? They don't say it's the good news about what Jesus did. That's what gospel means. Good news. So we don't even know what it is by definition. We've probably been focusing on lots of other things, some important things, but we've got to remember there's a priority number one. Pray for pastors that their priority number one would be the Bible's priority number one. And then pray for Christians that their priority would be the Bible's priority number one. Let's pray for Omaha Bible Church that we would have our priority number one be priority number one. Number four, fourth feature for pastoral ministry and for the rest of us that helps to sharpen our identity. The pastoral duty is one of guarding. The pastoral duty is one of guarding. You saw that in verse 20, no doubt. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. I want to make that its own point so that we can see um, that there is this kind of uh, defensive um, stance that has to be there. We're not only guarding, we're actually promoting. He talks about that in chapter 3. He talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're definitely to be preaching we're proclaiming, we're sharing, we're getting the message out there. But here in this text, it's Timothy guard. I got a, I got a, a request from a church looking for a youth pastor this past week. And, and all the requirements, I didn't see committed, proven, garter of the gospel. 
to be honest, I don't remember seeing anything about the gospel. I saw lots of good things and important things, uh, and yet I didn't really see anything gospel-centric, but certainly there wasn't this one. This person is not just a proven leader. This person is not just, you know, a good um, communicator. They're not just a good um, motivator. Those are good and important things. They're a good gardener. Oh, Timothy, I'm going to summarize what I've been telling you. First thing on my list, guard. Guard that trust. Guard that gospel. Protect that gospel. Why would he need to do that? He would need to do that because if you don't have the gospel safe and protected, you don't have the gospel. How can you proclaim something and give good news to people if you actually don't possess it anymore because it's become something else? So there's got to be this guarding in order to give the positive proclaiming. We've got to have something to share in order to share. Or worse yet, we'll have what we call the gospel that isn't the gospel because we haven't been guarding the gospel. And then what we give to people when we call it the gospel actually is poison. And so I love to, to have that image in our heads. And it's important because again, you know, don't, don't be so negative. I heard one study that said the number one thing people are looking for in a pastor is that the pastor have an open and affirming style. Now, I, there's, a, there's a context for that, right? I want to be open and affirming. I want to be kind. I want to be gracious. I want to get better at being... Can't you tell I'm open and affirming? You guys, I'm so glad you're here. You guys look awesome today. Uh, <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> My dad would say, you can't make a purse out of a sow's ear. Um, I guess that's my personal testimony. Um, (laughs) I want to be open and affirming in the right sense, right? We don't want to just be jerks all the time about everything. I don't want to be, you know, guarding all the time. But we have to remember that it's not an either or. We, We can try to be those things in the right senses, But in another sense, we better make sure that our pastors and by extension our church is committed to the pastoral ministry of guarding, protecting. We've got to guard the gospel against those outside. We have to guard the gospel against those inside in light of Acts chapter 20. We've got to keep it safe. How are we going to have something to give to others if we ourselves don't have it? How are we, maybe by God's grace, going to pass something on to a next generation if we ourselves don't have it? We've got to commit ourselves to being a guarding kind of community. And again, I don't want to only be what we're against. I, there are churches like that. It's just like that. It's all they do. But remember, if we're truly for the gospel being the good news about what Christ has done on our behalf, that you can be forgiven. That means we are necessarily against everything and everyone who would say the gospel is something else. Not trying to be mean-spirited, but if I'm really for the gospel, I'm against all Gospel posers, contradictors. If I'm really for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, I'm actually against all who would say it's something else. With a smile on my face, I hope. But both feet firmly planted, guarding, 
get your hands off of the gospel. Right? We have to remember that. And again, hopefully we, we say it with the right measure of wisdom and understanding. There are a long list of examples of gospel compromises. I'll just choose one that's super popular. It's a popular mantra in pop evangelicalism. It says, we have to live the gospel. Now I'm going to sound mean. I'm in guard mode, okay? Both feet planted. When I hear someone say we have to live the gospel, and I'm using that as an example because it's one of the most popular ways the gospel is perverted. I've got to say, that's impossible. You can't live the gospel. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again in time and space history. It's a historical event and act. It's the good news about what He did outside of you. You can't live the gospel. It's impossible. Oh, and by the way, when I tell you I live the gospel, I, 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 I live a bad gospel. Because I'm not perfect. Only Jesus could live the gospel in that sense. You know, there's that quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, it's St. Francis of Assisi. But I like to say St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. It's a terrible quote. It's a terrible quote. Because I can't preach the gospel with my life. Because I'm a sinner. Ask my wife. My kids. I can't preach the gospel with my life. Now, I hope my life is different. I hope I'm nicer than I used to be. Some days I am. Some days I'm not. I don't live the gospel. I point to Christ, who is your hope, not to me. It's not be more like me. There's no hope in that. And if I could get you guys to buy that, I know I couldn't get my family to buy it. Remember this, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I know this is a soapbox for me, but I I have to do it because I'm committed to a ministry of guarding. Faith, saving faith comes by hearing, not seeing, okay? And hearing the word of Christ, the gospel, okay? Faith, saving faith, doesn't doesn't come by you seeing my transformed life. The Bible doesn't teach that. Even though my life is being transformed because I'm a Christian, but, but it's not perfect yet. Faith comes by you not seeing. Faith comes by you hearing. Romans 10, 17. And what do you hear? You hear the gospel. Let me tell you about what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. He did everything perfectly. He loved his Father with heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what you don't do. He kept the law perfectly. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. And then he voluntarily went to the cross to be treated as if he'd never obeyed the law. He'd never loved God. He'd never loved his neighbor as himself. He atoned for all of your law-breaking 
in doing so. And then he was raised from the dead, proving that it worked, among other things. The good news about what Christ has done. Yeah, but I keep failing. No, no, you don't understand. But I know you're, you're not consistent with your living, Pat. I, I see you. I talk to your kids. That's right. It's true. I'm so glad for a Savior outside of me. Can't emphasize this enough because it's a major problem. We've got to guard what the gospel is. It's the good news about what Christ has done, not what we do. Remember Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we don't preach ourselves. So for so many years, we tried to be careful about how we share the gospel with people. And I was trained to do this. What you do is you share your testimony. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. But for so many years and for so many times, I want to share the gospel with people. So what I do is I say, well, you know what? I used to be a sinner. Problem number one. (laughs) The tense. Okay. (laughs) You know, I used to really struggle. (laughs) Um so back when I was a bad person and I did all these sins and I'll name some sins and maybe there's going to be some shock value sins and, and I used to be the sinner and, and then I heard the gospel and, and then I decided to commit my life to Jesus and I prayed the sinner's prayer and you know what, now my life, my life is amazing. Let me just tell you all the things I'm doing. And let me, let me tell you all these things that are different now and you know, there's something awesome about that. Because you know what? If you're a Christian, you are a new creature. And and the fruit of the Spirit does come and there is growth. So please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But we should probably call them bragamonies, not testimonies. And and we're trying to relate to people so they can understand you're telling it through your life story. I'm, I'm for that. But the Bible never teaches faith comes by seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so what I need to make sure I tell in my story is maybe here are my sins, but you know what? Then I came to realize that I sin all the time and I actually still do because I don't love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it shows in my behavior. And I, and I don't love my neighbor as myself and it shows in my behavior and I'm so thankful that Jesus forgives. And even now when I sin, and I do sin, I'm so thankful that my hope is not in me. My hope is in what Christ did in history, in time and space. And I'm resting in Him. You've got to remember that. It's different. It can be more offensive because you're, you're preaching, okay? In Romans chapter 10, how will they know without a preacher? Maybe they'll just know by my changed life. A lot of cult members have apparently changed lives. This is a big one. Got to guard the gospel and make sure we understand the basics. It's the good news about Jesus. In the newcomer's class, I say, if you can just, you get a passing grade if I say, what is the gospel, and you say, good news. I say, if you're going to be part of Omaha Bible Church, you at least need to know that. Okay? Don't say the gospel is, follow Jesus. Now, should we follow Jesus? Absolutely, we should follow Jesus. Do we? Absolutely not, we don't. Okay? 
Jesus was the perfect law keeper. So if you just want to follow Jesus, one great thing is you'll see that you can't and you'll need him to be your atoning savior. But I at least want to say, before you walk out the door of the newcomer class, at least when I say, what is the gospel? If you say good news, I'll give you a C. You, to- you totally pass. And you are way far ahead of all kinds of other people who want to say, follow Jesus, love God. Yeah, that, that, good job pointing out the law. Good news. Now, if you can say the good news about Jesus, I think you're probably in the B range. <laughs> Maybe A minus. I mean, if we're grading on a curve compared to everybody else. <laughs> the good news about what Jesus has done. And if you can get his life, death, and resurrection, you're like A+. plus. We've got scholarships for you. Okay? Now, we can start then talking about the fruit of the gospel. And then we can talk about living in light of the gospel. And we do want to live different lives. And, and we don't want to be utter and complete hypocrites. We, we, we want to show that our lives are different. And we want to emphasize that even, but not separated from the gospel. It's a result of the gospel got to get this one right. Guarding. I promise this is the longest point and I'm not lying. I am telling the truth. Let me give you a great cue card for this. Every time you walk into this auditorium, and you won't do this because we're, we, we just start turning things off. I mean, we had a cleaning day yesterday at Omaha Bible Church. Thank you if you helped clean. It was cool to see everybody cleaning. And you know, you walk in and walk out and you just don't notice things. Maybe you do if you're new. You say, this place is a shambles. Um, the rest of us, we just come here week in, week out. Everything looks fine. I, you know, yesterday it was just like, whoa, there are so many atrocities. <laughs> and there are so many things that need to be fixed and done. And you just have no idea. And we should do these more often. And anyway, it's my long way of saying, you probably won't remember this. You'll, you'll start tuning it out. But it would be awesome if every time you walked in those doors or those doors, it would be awesome if you looked at the cross. It's your cue card. The Christianity is about Christ and what He has done. That's what it's about. Notice there aren't two tablets of stone up here. If the gospel is following Jesus, two tablets of stone. If the gospel is love God, Let's put some stone tablets up there. It's good. It's, it's correct. That's, you should do that. But we don't. That's why we need Jesus to atone for our breaking of the stone tablets. Especially the ones written on our hearts. Victory in Christ. So we don't point to ourselves. We point outside of ourselves and we point to Him. And we need to be sometimes in promoting mode. I love promoting it, the positive, the pillar of it, as he says in chapter 3. But we've got to be in the protecting mode, otherwise we won't have any pillar mode. We won't have anything to promote if we don't know what it is. Can I move on or not? Please, Lord, help him, Jesus. (laughs) Some way or another, I'm going to talk about this next week, Um, probably. How it goes. Let's go to number five. Fifth feature for pastoral ministry and church ministry, and therefore all of our ministry to sharpen our focus would be the pastoral duty is not creative, but protective. It's not creative, but protective. This is a bit of overlap. So let's go ahead and look at it again where he says, guard the deposit. 
entrusted to you? That's where I got the idea of it's not creative. Guard the deposit. Notice, if he's guarding the deposit, the deposit, what he, what he receives is intact when he gets it. Guard the deposit. Intact. Your job is to keep it intact. Not to somehow improve upon it, change it, grow it, make it better. No, it's this, it's this protection mode. You're gonna, we're gonna give this to you and you keep it the way it is. And we feel the burden and we feel the pull to be creative and to reinvent and all these kinds of buzzwords that you hear in, in, in church marketing or reinventing or, or recreating and all this kind of thing. And we've got to be more creative. And no, it's guard what's been entrusted. I gave you this treasure. Protect it. I've used the illustration before. I use it too often. But it's sort of like we're, 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 preachers are waiters. Okay, Christians are waiters. We're not the chef. Okay, different image than Paul uses to Timothy. A little bit lighter one. But you get the idea. Your, your job, if you're a waiter or a waitress, they probably understand gospel ministry better than most people do. If you're a waiter or a waitress, your job is to get that food from the kitchen and get it delivered to the table. Right? That's your job. And to get it there in a timely manner, you know, the way it left the kitchen and all that. Your job isn't to, you know, do a little sampling on the way out and, and making judgment calls whether or not it needs a little bit more pepper, a little bit more salt, maybe a little bit more spice, squeeze some lemon on there. It's not your job. Your job is to be a steward. I've got the food from the chef and I'm going to deliver it to the table the way it came out of the kitchen. Okay? You're not called to creativity. You're called to faithfulness. And really that's a good image for a pastor and a good image for a church. We want to give that message the way it was given to us. An apostle gives it to Timothy so that he can deliver it to the people. That's why he says preach the word in chapter 4 verse 2. He's not called to creativity. He's actually just called to something that's been entrusted to him. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Even notice the fact that at the end, in verse 21, when he, he calls it the faith. That's a great word that, that is, I used the word earlier to describe it. It's objective. Okay? The faith. The objective body of Christian truth regarding Christ. And that statement is used a lot in the Bible. I love what Jude says in Jude Chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but when you look it up on a computer, you have to give it the chapter. Anyway, Jude 1, 3. Here's what it says in Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. That's that guarding kind of idea. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Please, Omaha Bible Church, please pastors of Omaha Bible Church, please Christians within hearing, please know we're not supposed to be creative. We're to earnestly contend for the faith, objective body of Christian reality, and remember, how did it come to us? Once and for all, delivered to the saints. Again, entrustment, and then delivered. 
And what is our job? Our job is then to keep it safe and protected the way it was. It's been entrusted to us. It's the once and for all faith. It's a great, great thing to remember for us if we're going to be faithful in the long run. If we're going to not have to have a reinventing of ourselves, a new identity crisis, and let's redo things, and we've got to scrap everything because it's not the trend. No, remember. Once and for all, delivered to the saints, faith. So if it's new, it's not right. I mean, the way to be cutting edge, as I jokingly said earlier, the way to be cutting edge is to be cutting edge first century. Got to remember that. Not to be creative. But to be faithful. In that sense, the church should be the Fort Knox of the gospel. Lock down no visitors. No tinkering, no messing around, no fixing. Now, in another sense, we're not just defending, we're promoting. But he's not emphasizing that here. Because once again, we won't have anything to share if we don't have anything to begin with. Okay, number six. The pastoral duty is one of avoidance. It's one of avoidance. It says in verse 20, here's the second command. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Once and for all, deliver to the saints faith. Anything that comes into conflict, conflict with that, pastor, avoid that. Avoid that. Anything that comes into conflict with that, Christian, church, avoid that. And Paul does what Paul does here. He utilizes other people's vernacular, other people's speech, their, their lingo, their language, their verbiage, he utilizes that and then he turns it around and uses it against him. It's like poking fun. It's very, it's very condescending. Like it or not, it's what he does. When he says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Okay, you say you've got the special knowledge. I've got a special experience. I've got new writing. I've had a special dream. I've had a special experience that no one else has. I've got this secret and he says, I've got a name for that, for your knowledge. <laughs> it's irreverent babble, and it's contradictory. That's not nice. It's not nice at all. So much for the open, open and affirming style. He's a faithful pastor, though. And if it's in contradiction to what the once and for all the faith is. It's irreverent babble. It's a joke, regardless of what you say it is. Why would he be so mean? Why would he be so condescending? Why would he be so critical? No doubt that would turn people off. Might turn you off. I hope it doesn't, but it might. Pastorally rude, insensitive. Well, look what it says in verse 21. The stakes are high. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. That's why. It comes back to this, this paradigm again. 
if we're really for the gospel, we've got to be absolutely against gospel imposters. And for sure, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come off as rude and nasty and mean. And, and especially in a more PC kind of world, we always have that kind of world to one degree or another. How can you ever tell anybody that they're, they're wrong? Well, it's hard to do. But a faithful pastor had better do it. A faithful church had better do it. Because we can't be for the good news about Christ and your only hope is in Him. And He's been raised from the dead. He, he fully and completely atoned for our law-breaking. Now His righteousness, His law-keeping is credited to us. And the only way that could ever possibly happen is by you trusting in Him and Him alone. And we, we can't do that and then say, but, but, but all these other things are true too. We just can't do it. There is a, an emphasis on, on avoiding. Some of you maybe have, have heard of Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge has a... His books are still in print. He lived in the 1700s and the 1800s. Um, he was a famous professor at Princeton Seminary back when Princeton had a theological soul. I love this quote from, from Charles Hodge when he said, I am not afraid to say that a new idea never originated in the seminary. I like that. Why? Because they were avoiding. They had a ministry of avoidance. They were trying to train their pastors to be committed to the, to the, the faith, the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith. Nothing new. Same thing. And now all you get there is new. I want to be a church like that. I'm not trying to be anything new, anything creative, not based upon some special dream that someone had and they saw this, never mind what the Bible says, never mind what Christianity has always taught. Well, how can we question anyone's experience? And that would be mean and that would be rude to ever say anything. And the Apostle Paul says that's, that's falsely called knowledge. That's wrong. Avoid it. Pastor, if you have a backbone at all, if you're really a pastor, you stand against it. Church at Ephesus, you stand against it. Why? Because you're just grumpy all the time? No, because we, we love it that we've been loved by Christ in the gospel. Finally, the pastoral duty is humanly impossible. Number seven. The pastoral duty and the church duty is humanly impossible. I don't know about you, but when I hear this kind of calling, um, living in the 21st century in Omaha, Nebraska, I go, I don't really know if I like this. I'm already insecure standing up in front of you guys, thinking, what are they thinking? There he is, grumpy again, you know, negative, avoidance, gospel. He says it's good news, but why is he frowning? I mean, I'm like standing up here being Mr. Insecure. Do they like me? Do they not like me? If I just told them that they were good and God likes good people and isn't that good that you're good and now we can all be good together and you guys would like me, if I would just affirm everything about you. And everyone is good and everything they say about Jesus is right. If it feels good to you, it's right. Who am I to question your feelings? 
send money now. And they would just come in in droves. I'd probably have my teeth redone, get bigger hair. But everybody would like me. Faithful pastors wouldn't like me, though. Faithful Christians wouldn't like me. Because I wouldn't be telling the truth about who Jesus is. But I've got to tell you, I don't like the pressure. I like to remind the Lord, I didn't sign up for this. When people are mad at me, people are upset with me. You didn't sign up for it either. Being a Christian and being committed to these things is, is, is next to impossible. Being an elder at Omaha Bible Church today, we want to affirm Dallas Foch, lest he, lest he get scared off and leave before we can affirm, but um, now he knows. You just want to quit. And you just say, you know what, I, I just had it. I don't like it. I don't like these people. I don't like the conflict. It's just another conflict and it's another hard thing. I just try to tell them it's good news. And it is. I, I, I give up. I think that's, that's what you'll do. It's what I'll do. I can't do it. I actually think that's where we need to be. I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. So even though it's just a greeting that it's commonly used in the Bible, I think it's a greeting with theological meaning and substance when he says at the end of our passage, grace be with you. Yeah. Enabling grace. (laughs) The only way you're not going to be like Hymenaeus and Alexander and move away from the faith, God's enabling grace. The pastor needs God's enabling grace. The people need God's uh, enabling grace because apart from God holding it all together, it's just going to crash and burn. So we've got to remember that. We've got to remember that we don't stand because we're so strong and we're so committed and we're so awesome. We're weak, incapable, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it as the hymn writer says. We need God's grace. God's grace to hold us to the very end. And when we stop remembering that, we will crash and burn. So we've got to remember it's only by God's grace. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for our time together and thank you for the goodness of of being reminded of what we're called to do and who we're called to be. And I pray for the men and women of Omaha Bible Church that they would be encouraged by these things and, and that we would realize that we have to protect something if we're going to promote something and that we would find great joy in these things. We're thankful today, a special day for us to take a break from ordinary activities where we can affirm a new leader, a new pastor, overseer, elder. Uh, We're thankful that that's been according to your grace and only according to your grace. May the body of Christ at OBC be encouraged today uh, as we take this matter serious as far as someone who can lead the rest of us. In Jesus' name, amen.